This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. They'll head to the start-finish line, waiting for the sign from the starter, waiting for the green flag. It flies, and the 2022 Indianapolis 500 roars into turn number one. Connor Daly takes a peek to the inside of Scott Dixon at the start-finish line. And you can hear the crowd. They jump to their feet, and they start pumping those fists. Connor Daly, the Hoosier, to the top spot at Indy. Davey Hamilton, a drive-through penalty yeah. for Scott Dixon. I seen when he came in, he sped. He, he locked, had the tires locked up on pit entry. And Dick Yeoman, you saw Marcus Erickson make the pass. Set him up like we've seen so many times down into turn number one. And Jake, we see down the backstretch, Marcus Erickson's pulling away. The final couple of laps of the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Green flag is in the air of the starter. They are at speed, and Marcus Erickson trying to move around to disrupt that air. He gets to the start-finish line first. And the white flag flies on the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Pato Warren to the high-sided one. He jumps to the outside. They go wheel-to-wheel, but Pato has to jump out of the throttle. Marcus Erickson leads to the short shoot. Quiet swing, quietly has made his way to the front, and now a half a lap away from winning his very first Indianapolis 500. A car length as he swings low, now back high to turn three for the final time. Marcus Erickson is snaking around. Pato Ward and Tony Kanata skulking with Felix Rosenquist. Marcus Erickson with a five-car length advantage, and the caution flag has come out due to an incident in turn number two, Mark. Marcus Erickson flies under the twin checkers, and he has achieved racing immortality. He wins the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Marcus, you just won Indy 500. You take a second parade lap, think about your family and everybody that got you to this point. You are an Indy 500 champion. And you know what? It's still May. We've got one more day in May, and tonight we revisit a really entertaining 106th Indianapolis 500, won by Marcus Erickson. Highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. Welcome to Trackside, back weekly, generally on Tuesday nights. Check your local listings. Two-hour program tonight, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Sam Rumsa. In our MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters, we thank you for joining us. The The Twitter lines are open at KevinLee23, at Kurt Cavan. Coming up, a guest in a little bit tonight. I think that might have been his voice you heard there at the end. That's one of the questions I will ask him because I don't think that sounded like Michael Guerra, but maybe it did under the emotion of the moment. That might have been his engineer, Brad Goldberg. Sounds a bit like him. Brad will join us on the program. He uh, has had a lot of success in motorsport and now has won the biggest race in the world. So we want to visit with him a little bit later on. Much to get into on the program tonight, recapping a a really wonderful month. Kurt, overall impressions, big roundabout question, but what do we make of what we saw on Sunday? Well, I guess we should be surprised by Marcus Erickson's drive to victory, given that... uh... You know, his two teammates were the odds, the heavy favorites. But, you know, I mentioned on several on several occasions, including the Burger Bash on last Monday night, when I got talking about how people have noticed his progression and con- compared it to Rick Mears in his early years. And so it really wasn't 
too much of a surprise if you'd been paying attention, uh, as as I know most of these listeners have been. And it was a great month. We had an exciting finish. You had Tony Kanan in the middle of all that fun. You had some surprises. And you had a tremendous crowd. I don't think anybody could have been more happy than Roger Penske to see that finally come to full bloom uh, for the Indianapolis 500. His first, uh, you know, effectively a sellout while there were a few remaining seats. But, you know, a crowd of of more than 325,000. It just it looked good. It sounded good. And in uh, Roger's mind, it was good. So when we talk about whether it was a big surprise or not, in some ways, I guess it was sort of a surprise, but not really, especially when you consider the circumstances. And then we look at our tiers. I know I had them in tier two, and I think you did too. And the people, the only people we had ahead of him, something went wrong. And that's how that happens. Uh, Scott Dixon has the pit speed penalty. Alex Pillow has to, well, he's one, rolling through the pit lane or about to, when a caution comes out, has to do the drive through essentially. So he already was going to be near the back. And then, so it's basically, he did three pit stops for that one pit stop because the way emergency service works is if you're going to run out of fuel before the pits open, you can come down and take a splash or however much you want. But then when the pits open, you still are required to come down and then you're going to want to change your tires and so forth. So he's in the back. And then New Garden's the other one we had up there. And New Garden did not have a car, I don't think, strong enough to win, but he could have been better than he was because I don't know if it was the second or the third stop, but he stalled and then went to the back or close to it, somewhere between 25th, 28th or whatever. So still pretty good of him to, to be able to, to drive back up to 13th or so. And, and you look at the others that were in Tier 2, Renus VK crashes, running second. Ed Carpenter didn't have a, really a chance to win, but maybe had a chance to be, was he 11th at the red flag? I think he was. And then he stalled. I don't think it was the car didn't fire. I think he might have stalled. We'll get into that in coming up in a bit. But that's another that didn't have a chance at the end. And then it was Pato Award, and that's who you're fighting with. So I actually feel like we predicted this one pretty well because pretty much everybody in our top two tiers had a car good enough to win with the exception of new garden. I'm not sure Ed really did yesterday or on Sunday. Well, when I say it was a surprise, I think there were a lot of people Sunday evening saying, who is Marcus Erickson? You know, who does he drive for and what is he all about? You know, I think there was still a lot of that going on through the 325,000 in attendance. Now, as I mentioned, those that follow this show and certainly the the two of us and Sam back in the studio that, you know, we have a, a good feel for Marcus's talent. And obviously his race car was very good. We knew that. But we thought that if a Ganassi car was going to win, it likely would have been Scott Dixon or Alex Pillow. And yes, they both had problems. And, and that's why uh, that's why they weren't there. And it takes some luck like that. But you know, even, you know, a lot of people were telling me about the various gambling sites legal here in the state that, you know, Marcus was like 12th, 13th, I think, 8th, 10th, 12th, 13th, somewhere in that mid-range in terms of favorites. And Vegas doesn't usually get it wrong, even though they don't follow the IndyCar series as closely as they should. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, my point is, I don't think a lot of people, you know, outside of those that were really paying attention, thought that Marcus Erickson had a chance. And honestly, for as good as Marcus is, and as good as his his team is, and so forth. I still think that if push come to shove, I would have named about five other drivers who would have won the race before Marcus. I mean, yes, he had issues, you know, others had issues, but you'd still have trouble if you were asking us on, on May 20th, let's say, can, you know, will Marcus Erickson win the Indy 500? Well, he's going to have a good shot, but there are at least four or five others that we would pick before him. So you're totally right that many in the audience are asking who this is, and many of the people watching on television, unfortunately, aren't watching all the other races and are asking, who is this guy? Maybe some, oh, wait a minute, I remember seeing him in season one of Drive to Survive when he was getting fired, and that's all I know about him from Formula One. But, well, I would say we should have rated him higher, but I'm feeling like I did rate him pretty high, and I think you did as well. And the circumstances, so yes, there there might have been three or four or five others that we would have picked ahead of him, but they weren't there. <laughs> you know, they weren't in it at the end of the race. So if you're going to tell me that Scott Dixon and Alex Pillow and Renus VK are not going to be eligible because of either something they did or something that happened to them, well, any meeny, miny, mo, uh, you know, maybe I'm taking Pato ahead of him, but... I'll go back well, to what a couple a of drivers ahead of him. You took I, I did. ahead of him. Yeah, I did. So that would be that would be the one. So I would have still I would have probably rated him second or third from that. And I'm I don't know where I would have put him in regards to Pato because I know this. I felt like the Ganassi cars were better than the Aero McLaren cars coming in. And what I was being told by people that are well, one, driving the cars and know uh, is that there is a class. That their tier was this. It was the Ganassi cars and the Ed Carpenter racing cars and then everybody else. About four other teams were that next tier, and that's the way it proved to be. And the Ganassi cars could have been one, two, three, four, and you know, Jimmy is new to this and maybe wasn't quite ready to contend as as much as as, as we thought he might be. Um, and then also a circumstance with, with a caution put him a little further back. Maybe he would have been able to move his way forward at the end of the race like he did at Texas. Not as easy to do it as you can at Texas where you can actually pass people if you're in the middle of the pack. Tough to pass in the middle of the pack at Indianapolis. But, boy, the Ganassi cars were amazing. And, and it always takes circumstance. It's not necessarily the one who's by far the strongest all day but Marcus was pretty close, and, and by the way, he lost four positions on pit lane through no fault of his own or his teams at one point. I, I heard him on uh, with uh, uh, Jake and Kevin yesterday morning, and, and he mentioned that that we had a little mishap in the pits, and I, I so I, when I watched the race back, I looked for that, and it wasn't that anyone made a mistake. It was actually Jimmy again, which is probably why he didn't want to say anything. He finished his pit stop. He was running third at the time. I don't recall which stop this was. Maybe I have it in my notes somewhere. It wasn't the last stop, but it was the third or fourth stop. Finished a stop, released, and I need to look up. I'm, I do want to do this. I'll look up and see if I have it in my notes. He wasn't in my section, so it may not be up to date. But whoever his outside front was saved his race because he was moving and they stopped him. 
because Jimmy was coming in later and he had to wait for Jimmy. The guy pitting basically has the right of way. So it's not Jimmy's fault. He is allowed to get into his stall, but he had to wait two or three seconds for Jimmy to come in and then release. And he lost four spots on pit lane. Uh, so that's, that's a huge difference there. It is uh, Mitch Brown is the outside front. So my guess is Mitch Brown is the one that, that should get a lot of credits. We'll ask Brad about that as well when he joins us uh, in a bit. But the point being, Marcus is strong. Okay, so maybe Dixon and Pelot were the guys to beat. But who's to say that Marcus wouldn't have been there at the end? Um, that would have been a fun fight. Those those are the three smoking fast cars. And no team orders. It would just be don't crash each other and go after it any way you want. Yeah, it would have been. The only thing I would say, a couple things, I guess, is you don't often have the front row, you know, not not somewhere in the fight. You know, there, the front row had pretty well eliminated itself. Uh, Pelo was still coming through the field, but couldn't get all the way back there. Dixon's mm-hmm. trouble we'll talk about, and Renus VK was out early. So, you know, one, you didn't have a lot of a lot of that ultimate speed and really good teamwork up front, and then I think. As we get into this, Marcus Erickson and Tony Kanaan in particular were really strong late, and I don't think had showed showed their hand. They had kind of hung out in the four, five, six, seven range for a lot of the race, and Erickson was almost always in the top five, and I think you know really turned it on. Pato Award was really surprised by how much speed he called it an insane amount of speed that Erickson displayed there with like fifteen to go. And uh, so that was that was a big move for him late. Uh, but he just kind of hung around and, and, you know, blew by him at the right time and and honestly would have won by three or four to five seconds had that caution not come out at the end for Jimmy, as a matter of fact. So so Jake Query asked me this this morning, and I, I think he's on to something that Honda basically saved an extra map. They saved a little extra power for the end of the race. And we all wondered who was going to produce the best race engine, the best conditions. And the general feeling was that Chevy had found some things in the off season. They had been really strong. What it was the first four races they won. And it took a rain race for them to be able to win. They were really strong at Texas, win that race as well. And then qualifying is a little bit different. We're wondering, was it just the Ganassi setup and the mechanical grip they produced uh, it's probably a combination of a lot of things. And I suspect that that Honda, and it's it's very little that you can do. There's not much, but there are little tweaks. And I'm wondering, because they have the ability to do this and how it happens and to what degree is beyond my level of understanding, but they can essentially turn it up a teeny bit. And you're running the risk of the thing blowing, but I think they can change that late in the race and it sure looked like Marcus Erickson had a little bit extra there at the end of the race. So it, it was one thing to end up out front. But after that last pit exchange, he came out third of those that were really fighting for the win. He was wherever, eighth, ninth, tenth in the race at that time because those up front were off sequence. But he came out behind Felix Rosenquist and behind Pato Award, effectively running third for the end of the race, unless there were 15 laps of caution and those those others didn't have to pit again, and they were going to have to pit again. And he was probably 
10 to 15 car lengths behind Rosenquist, uh, behind Award, who was another 10 car lengths behind Rosenquist. And within like a lap or two, he caught Pato and passed him. And I heard, oh, it was on, on the banquet last night. I think it was on the banquet. One of the interviews I, I heard with uh, Rosenquist, and he said, you know, I, I saw Pato behind me there, and I thought this will be fun racing my teammate, and all of a sudden it's a red car. And then all of a sudden that red car is coming up on me, and I knew I had nothing for him. And then he, he caught Felix within a couple of laps, started to gap a little bit. And honestly, what helped the three-second gap was Erickson got through traffic, lap traffic, much quicker than the other two did and in part because he was just that much faster but that's where the big gap came was it took the two era mclaren cars a little while to get through but kudos to honda because they found something and they maybe maybe not i don't know if we'll ever learn this but maybe they and i'm sure chevy does the same thing i would think that you're turning it up a little bit at the end knowing you're almost there if we want to win this thing we're going to need to find as much power as this thing can produce and Honda just had a little bit more. But the good thing is it was pretty equal, and the Chevy could have won the race. You know, if, if Pato Award doesn't have, I would I would call it the smarts to back out there, or if Marcus Erickson doesn't have the guts to keep his foot in it on the inside, you know, that was pretty close to where Marcus might say, yeah, he's got me here, I'm going to let him go. But... That's how close Award came to winning this race. He was almost side-by-side on the outside and looked like he had the run. And I I saw Marcus Sunday, and he said, I wasn't lifting. And he said, you normally can't go flat. You're you're normally not going flat, but I did not lift uh, those those last couple of laps. And I'm not sure if he meant I wasn't lifting before the red flag came out. I would guess he was with a three-second gap. But he did not lift and was not going to lift no matter what uh, on the last couple of laps. Yeah, it was a spectacular drive, and just like I mentioned, to hang around in the top five for as long as he did, and then to execute as as effectively as as he did in the closing laps, you know, it goes back. There's a lot of people, obviously, in every uh, winning car. In fact, all these guys that contended for the win, but you're looking at the the influence that Dario Franchitti had in Marcus Erickson's planning and how close they've been over the last couple of years. It's the teammates that Marcus has had to learn from to be able to watch Scott Dixon's onboard cameras literally day after day after day. I mean, Marcus is such a student of the sport. Uh, Somebody told me today, and I don't want to give them out, but, but said that they go to lunch with Marcus. That's all he talks about is racing. You know, he's a, He's a racing junkie, and, you know, he, as other drivers have talked about, you know, coming to run IndyCar, but maybe not make the full commitment, you know, even if they said the right things. Marcus has done the right things. He's in the shop all the time. He moved, you know, to, to Indianapolis. He's he's invested himself, and and the amount of film that he watches, it's uh, – it's, it's not a surprise from from the inside. My point was that most people still haven't learned who he is and are only beginning to find out what a race car driver he is. And, you know, he spent 
five years in Formula One with some pretty low, low end teams, and mm-hmm. has really embraced his uh, his time here in IndyCar and is just loving it. I know it's easy to love it when you win the Indy Five Hundred, but he was loving it long before this. And I don't think it's fully accurate to say he didn't like ovals until recently. My memory of conversations with him. Now I know they were challenging and they probably spooked him just a little bit, but my memories of conversations with, of him and with him have been, no, I've always liked ovals. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come to America is I wanted to try ovals. And I think he's been pretty good almost from the beginning. He hasn't had results until, uh, until Texas really this year, but I, I could look it up, but I think there have been two or three of the few ovals that are on the schedule where he should have had a better result than he did. I know he had a good win at uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway Gateway maybe two years ago. We had a du- double header there then, right? And I think he was going good in both of them, and something happened in one of them, and he got a pretty decent result of like sixth or eighth in one or the other. But my opinion is that he's been proficient really since he got here. He was in position for something around the top 10 for his first 500, and he's one of those that lost control entering pit lane, I think, that year or getting down to pit lane. And who knows if that was the the way they, you know, somewhat manipulate the brake pads to try to reduce drag, and you got to make sure that you get – you get some heat in the brakes and, and everything before, but I, I think he's been pretty good in the ovals and obviously he's really good now. And then what's going to be interesting is uh, what, where he's at from a, a fan recognition perspective going forward. Yes. Not a lot of people know him or gravitate to him, but he's going to have a platform now. And I think people are going to like what they see and hear from Marcus Erickson I've seen the comment by some as, oh, that's a terrible winner. He's not going to do anything for the sport. And and we, we talk about that too. And yes, I would have picked others that can help propel the sport more. And I've mentioned, you know, Graham Ray Hall, and obviously get a short-term boost again if it's Jimmy or Elio. Uh, I think Dixon, it, it helps elevate him to another level. But in my mind, so what? Uh, because Marcus is deserving I'm biased because I really like him, but I think he will help as a winner because he's going to embrace what's asked of him, and that's really important. And I think when people get to li- get to know him, they will like him. And I also think he's going to have some sustained success for a while. This is not a one-time thing for Marcus Erickson. I think this confidence is going to put him in the mix for a while. I think it's it's also good to have more winners in the field, more Indianapolis yes. 500 champions in the field. I mean, they go back to Alexander Rossi, another driver that people didn't know very well in 2016. That was his first year. And, yes, Marcus has been at this a little bit longer. But, you know, Rossi was, was not you – know, I think if you ask us, go back to the tape from the week after the 2016 race, you know, yes, he was an American, but more of a – you know, European driver and, you know, someone not a lot of people knew. Uh, there was some trepidation about, you know, what kind of personality he could bring to the table. And he's brought a great personality. He's been a very interesting character. And I expect 
Marcus to be similar. Marcus doesn't uh, hasn't had the flair maybe that Rossi has had on some of those bold moves around the outside like like Rossi had. And you know Rossi ran second to to Pagano in in twenty nineteen. But you know the Ganassi team is going to stay one of the elite teams, and Marcus is going to stay put. And I think that combination will make him viable for next year's Indianapolis 500. It'll make him viable at Texas. Uh, and I think uh, I, th- I think we've only seen the best of Marcus Erickson, and, and there's still more to come. I saw a stat today, and yes, the point system at Indianapolis this year helped, but no one has scored more points over the last calendar year than Marcus Erickson. Mm-hmm. That guy's coming, and, you know, if he were to win the championship, if he's going to the wire for the championship, if he comes back to Indy and is impressive again, I think there's no I – mean, he's still young. I mean, he's still a very young driver given – even though he has uh, spent five years in, in Formula One, this is a guy that that could uh, be racing here for quite some time. He's he's uh, not yet 33 years old, so he could be in this, this sport another 10 to 15 years. So I looked up 2020, his rookie season – and the 500, by the way, he, he crashed earlier than I remember. My note says he crashed on lap 24, but he, he, he was qualified a in 19. He was oh, okay, a rookie in 19. Okay, so in 19, so maybe he had just a typical crash. So in 19, he was in the top 10 before a spin entering the pits on lap 138. Okay, that's the one I was thinking of. That was when he was with Errol McLaren. I cannot recall what happened to him in uh 20 started 11 finished 32nd after crashing on lap 24 but that same year he was running in the top 10 at texas and they had a fuel pickup problem um he finished fifth in one of the races at gateway so whatever he's, he's had some some good oval experience before now you bring up something interesting that uh, i forget how you phrased it but you know he's not going anywhere let's think about this for a moment so someone was asking me about that on Sunday night. And I said, you know, I, I don't know, but I think he was still required to bring budget to secure this ride. And it was in question last year. And I remember talking about talking to Marcus about that late last summer. And he was annoyed, uh, you know, in a friendly way. He's, he's just not a bitter, angry guy, but I could tell there was some annoyance there as I was asking him about getting the deal done. And, you know, it's like, well, I've won two races. Uh, I would think I ought to be able to get hired at, at some point. And he pretty much confirmed it that uh, pretty good for a pay driver. And what that means is it's a driver that's still required to bring some budget. So you've won the Indy 500 before. If you are required to bring budgets, I'm going to guess you're asking, is there anyone else that would like my services? So I don't know what his contract is. I don't know if it was two years or not, but I think there's the possibility that it was one year or had some options in it. So you might add Marcus Erickson to the potential silly season list, which is really silly, and we might officially take one name off coming up this weekend. But just something to keep in mind on. It may be just a matter of principle that, no, no, if I've got backers that are still going to pay for something, that's going in my pocket. I expect to be hired. I'm an Indianapolis 500 winner. There are ways around that, I suppose, with clauses that you keep all the the prize money for the 500 and so forth. But um, that'll be interesting because it, it, it to hire him, the team needs to go find a sponsor. 
So that okay. becomes challenging. That's why it's not a uh, 100% given. I would agree with that. I just don't see a lot of, uh, you know, when it gets right down to it, you know, where would he go that would make him a I paid think there's going to be some changes. I think there's some that? things that are, I think there's some things percolating. There could so be. We may, there, we may save this for another week, but I, I heard some interesting things over the weekend. I think there, there are some possibilities. There's no question. Um, getting back to your question about, about ovals, in 19, he, he finished seventh at Texas. Uh, you know, it was really at Iowa where he's, where he's had really good success. He's run, you know, in the top 10 three times, I believe, at, at Iowa. So, you know, this is a guy who's, uh, who's kind of figured it out quicker than, than maybe you would have expected. So, um, and for the record, that was Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. That's how, how we called that team. You know, you think about, you know, how far back 2019 is. That wasn't an Arrow-McLaren uh, entry because, uh, anyway, just to – was Arrow. Just a, it was Arrow sponsored, but it was Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. Uh, just, just a little, little point. Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons why he probably wasn't invited back because McLaren came in was, yes, it was still Sam's team, but McLaren was making a lot of the calls, and this is a different story for a different time. But uh, they wanted two new drivers, and they got two new drivers. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm still, I'm still not sure that Sam didn't want the two drivers that were there to return. Um, I think he was more interested in Hinch coming back. I'm not, I, I don't know about Marcus. I also heard him say yesterday morning that, eh, I had a bad year. I, I probably didn't deserve to be retained after that year. So, uh, pr- pretty impressive. And it's worked out quite well for him. And he beat the team that released him. That was the team right behind him. We'll talk more about Marcus Erickson and the rest of the Indianapolis 500. We'll pack as much as we can in tonight. A lot of good questions. We'll have uh, more, and that'll help us cover some of the things we need to get into tonight at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Hi, this is Marcus Erickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. <laughs> Good timing. We've got a lot of things to get to. Red flag, uh, some some contenders losing out, and much more at Kevin Lee 23. But I don't want to get too far backed up on Twitter comments, so I'll go in reverse order in which they were received and see what we can do. Kurt St. Angelo says, My only disappointment with this year's 500 was the lack of balloons. What happened to this iconic tradition? Um, this is not going to come back, I don't think, anytime soon. So do a Google, and you can see some of the stories. But there would have been protests, and it would have been. It's it's a I've unfortunately I think officials at IMS have had to spend a lot of time on this, and right or wrong, not making any judgment. If you try to go against some of the groups that are going to want to protest you and make you make your life difficult. You have to decide, is it worth it or not? And what kind of publicity is this going to bring? And that's where that ends up. So it's not coming back, unfortunately. I'm not smart enough to know about the real effect on the environment or not, and I'm not offering an opinion on that one way or the other. I will say this. I have to believe at some point soon an environmentally friendly balloon can be developed that is biodegradable and we can do that so that's what i'm working on and hoping on at this point and that's some reason for optimism i have to believe that's going to be an option sometime soon and maybe we can see that coming back again because i miss the balloons as well 
John Day, 81 Indy, says, I would like it, liken Marcus's win to that of Rick Mears' first win in 79. Not too many people knew him back then either, but if Marcus starts performing like Rick did in his early days, he'll be very well known very soon. Agreed with that. Agreed with that 100%. And this is not a guy, this is not his first win. Uh, you know, maybe you could say circumstances helped him with the other two wins too. Uh, so Detroit was when Will Powers' car wouldn't restart after a red flag. There's a red flag in Nashville, too. I see a theme coming here. But he was good. But Colton Herta might have been the best, and he got what he got shuffled back at some point and then was storming to the front and then made a little mistake. And obviously there were some others involved in a crash. And, and Marcus hit somebody and ramped up over the top of them at the beginning of the race. But he's been running up front. He's legit, and he's on a good team. This is very unlikely to be his last win. He's going to be in the mix for a, a little while, as long as he stays with Ganassi or is with a good team. Jason Jennings says the race is really good. Getting to the track was fine. Getting out was horrid. Worst of my 22 years. Plenty of yellow shirts directing traffic in the North 40 lot, but none after the race. Paid $45 to be stuck for three hours after the race. Who should I contact to voice frustration? Well, it's obviously me because I'm in charge of all, all things, <laughs> in television, parking. Um, no, I hear you. Uh, um, my wife and Jackson were parked across the way, and I think they got home at 8 o'clock, <laughs> something like that. It just it didn't move. And I know some people in our group that were parked over in the, the media lot outside of the track across Georgetown actually drove back into the track to try to go out another way. So what we did is what, you know, I never have dealt much with traffic because I used to do the radio post-race show, which worked out great. And so this year we, we kind of figured traffic was going to be bad. What did we get? We got done at 445 or so after the Peacock show and decided there's let's just don't go sit in the car we just hung out for a little while and then um so danica patrick and i share this the same accountant who has a suite and i talked her into let's let's help him out a little bit he's he's a cox beckman goss they're a, a minor partner of jackson's program so let's help out brent a little bit and head up to the suite and surprise the guests so we took lee diffie and Rutledge Wood and we walked up to the suite and hung out there for an hour or so and that was that was fun watching uh, the people still hanging around looking over and that looks like Danica Patrick uh, just kind of surprising so we had fun with that and then this is where I felt bad when I checked in with the family and we got in the car at six o'clock no escort you know we just drove out the museum entrance they have you turning left immediately and it was pretty easy we're back downtown and 30 minutes or so, and unfortunately, people on the other side were kind of stuck. Probably always best to park in a neighborhood a ways away. If, if you need to get out, otherwise, just kind of plan on hanging out, find somebody that lives in Speedway, go walk over. I used to do that, too, and just hang out with them for a little while and, you know, wait until it clears because, you know, think about this. It's 325,000 people. Kurt, you are trying to evacuate a pretty decent-sized city with not many outlets to get out maybe we're yeah, fortunate a, we're home before tuesday it's it's really amazing that it happens you know at all that you get out in any kind of time i know my family struggled a bit not uh, nearly as long as that they had more issues kind of getting off 465 
before the race and it was like 7:15 in the morning. So, you know, those things happen and and hopefully people are pretty understanding and look, we don't need to send text and emails to Doug Bowles for there to be uh, an investigation into how this yeah. happened. They'll, they'll be aware. all over it. Yeah. Yeah, he's aware and they 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 spend, I'm sure, countless hours working with authorities on Let's do this the best that we can. Is it going to be perfect next year? It's not. But if it was worse than normal, my guess is it will be better. And also keep in mind, this is the second biggest crowd we've had in 25 years. And it probably wasn't that far off of 2016. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, you always learn things. And I think, you know, the last couple of years, it's been getting people in – in a more efficient manner, getting bags checked, getting tickets scanned, uh, just that opening of gates and and communicating uh, which gates are open or which gates have gates have have shorter lines. All that was available on the app, and you know there was communication and really a big emphasis on that. It was talked about many times in staff meetings about about the things that uh, were going to be done to get people in. And I suspect, because I know that place, and certainly the people at the top are are world-class in their uh, planning, uh, that the similar type effort will be made on the back end uh, in 2023. Chad Smith, Chad 200. By the way, thank you to Chad. He was uh, shooting, he's a photographer, was shooting at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park on friday night and sent some really good pictures of jackson that uh, he will eventually post but thank you to chad his question is do you envision double points ever becoming a series topic of change dixon's speeding penalty not only cost him a second indy 500 win but could very well prevent him from his seventh championship as well oh i i don't know if it will be changed but it is a topic of discussion amongst the drivers and and many of the drivers are not for it ironically when when I ran into Dixon on Sunday, well, one, I didn't know what to say. I felt horrible. And I said something like, wow, you had the, the best car there. I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for rubbing it in. I know I had the best car. And then and Hinch was there with me. And Hinch is kind of on my side as well. We talked about that on Peacock, that we're not really a fan of double points for the 500. 500 it stands alone, and it shouldn't go that far to decide the championship. And that's an opinion. I'm probably not as strong on that because it is the biggest race in the world. And I understand that argument made that I should probably count more for your championship because it is the biggest race in the world. So there's nothing wrong with that. And it's been weighted that way in the past in different eras. But if I got to choose, I would say get rid of it. But the point I was making is I said something like that, to Scott is about the championship and double points. I wished it would go away. And he didn't, he, he was not as strong against it as Hinch and I were. He was like, oh, I can understand it. And I no sour grapes at all. And, and I think he's no, I, I think we can still win the championship. We still got some points out of the day. And luckily most of those, some of those up front weren't the ones that were already up front. You know, you even had what well, you've got third, fourth, Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth weren't really in the championship going in. Now, Marcus is leading it now. So it was a big day for Marcus, big day for Pato. And Pelot survived a bit. 
from getting back the ninth. But I do think it'll be brought up, but I, I don't know that it will be changed, but I think it's always going to be a point of uh, conversation for the next few years. I think it'll be more of a conversation this year. Um, I, I know a little bit more of the history behind it, and I just think there's more momentum for removing double points than there have been. Let okay. me give you a trivia question. Uh, let's see if you can answer this. Uh, who had 33 fewer points than Marcus Erickson? You can look at the box score, but who had 33 fewer points than Marcus Erickson? Scott Dixon? Team Penske. McLaughlin, the whole team. The McLaughlin, Power, and Newgarden combined to score 76 points. That's 34 for Joseph, 32 for Power, and 10 for McLaughlin. That's 76, 33 behind Team Penske. I mean, uh, between behind Marcus Erickson, the race winner, who got uh, what, uh, you know, the bonus points for, for qualifying fifth he got a and then winning the race. 109. That's, this is a huge swing in the championship. And it's, it's largely because, as you mentioned, you know, Kanan is not a championship contender. Uh, Connor Daly realistically isn't. Elio Castroneves, you know, you've got some drivers down in there. You know, even Felix Rosenquist is is something like 20th in the standings or or he's or was. So you've got, you know, a big swing. And I just think it, it will decide the championship ultimately this year. And by the way, you know, you have to you have to perform uh, to get the points. So it's it's on those drivers, as you mentioned. But, you know, this is um, I just think it's going to be too big of a swing to ignore this year. Well, I know some – I don't know what Newgarden thinks, but I know what Will Power thinks uh, and has thought about this. So there there probably will be some more conversations within Team Penske. You know, McLaughlin has been right up there all year, and now he's he's seventh, and he's 64 points out of the championships because of, of what happened. Newgarden is still in the mix, but he's 52 back uh, with winning two races. So, okay. Um, and we'll power. get to the news of the day. And power has gone third, fourth, 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 third, something like that. And then in this race, uh, you know, finishes down a little bit. But it wasn't like he finished last. And, no, he's still and in just, there. Yeah, he's quite a ways back. All right, we'll get to the news of the day and plenty more coming up on Trackside. Hey, this is Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to Trackside. I'm sure Jimmy Johnson will be part of the show in the second hour. But now, time for the Speedrome Circle City Raceway News of the Night. This Saturday night is the craziest and wildest Saturday night of the year at the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. Why? Because the return of the school bus figure eight racing. You got to see that, Kevin. Insane trailer eight figure eight racing capped off by the carnage of Speedrome Demo Derby. The Indianapolis Speedrome is family-friendly, free parking, great food. Yep, outrageous fun. All the information at speedrome.com. Here's what I'll make our news of the day. It's the fourth time car number eight has won. This is courtesy of Chad 200. He tweeted it, so I'm stealing from him. But the first time number eight has won since I would have never gotten this. 1956. Pat Flaherty, 1956 was car number eight. So there you go. There's your news of the day. It's a factoid tonight. I like it. And Wednesday, June 8th is Indiana Midget Week and the return of USAC National Sprint or Midgets 
taking on the quarter mile bull ring circle city raceway is also family friendly has great food free parking and outrageous fun for more information check out circlecityraceway.com mike at efforting moose asked did marcus cross the pit commit line when he performed the dragon move in the closing laps i don't think he did um now this is this may be something that has to be discussed it's a little bit scary when you look where they're at they're to the left of the pit dividing wall and weaving back and my fear is more for the the driver in second behind them the guy in front has clear view and he knows what he's doing and the guy behind is just trying to stay in the draft as much as he can but there's no line there so i don't think you could say that he crossed over some line and should have been penalized but I don't think there's any line at that point, and that's before the pit commit line. Uh, and you know what? It, it may be. So it, it's after the pit commit line, I believe, but there is no line there. So I guess I was thinking of the line when you get into the pits, but uh, clearly there is no penalty there with the way the rules are currently written because this wasn't the first time they've done that. Do they need to address this and have a line there? Maybe. Maybe that's something that will be thought about, that we put a line that, that runs from the dividing wall down through the inside of the track. And you so thought I'm there? Watching, I'm watching it, and he did, he did cross the line there uh, coming out of, of pit lane. Um, so there, I mean, I think, I think it's going to have to be, that'll be addressed, I think. Um, I don't know that, you know, it was in place. Um, it just, it seems too pronounced for me. Yep. Yeah, I think and I think it needs to be written in. You can't penalize him in this race because it wasn't defined, but it might be something like we've seen on other tracks where there is a line. We've seen that at some of the ovals in IndyCar. Still happens in NASCAR where if you get, you know, all four wheels below one of the inside lines, the lap is invalidated or you're penalized or whatever the case may be. You might want to consider something like that here for safety. And you might also want to do it for the show. It's it's tough to pass somebody at the end of the race because of that. Now, still, I don't think it's impossible. It's it's just difficult. So, all right, more to come with your questions via Twitter, Kevin Lee twenty three, Kurt Cavan, and Brad Goldberg, the engineer for the number eight Chip Ganassi racing car, coming up next hour on Trackside. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee, Sam Rumps is in the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters, the DriveHubler.com studios. All right, let's talk about the red flag now. Let's get into some of the storylines before we get back to Twitter questions. Uh, it was obviously not well received by Marcus Erickson and, and his team, and I can understand that. And here's kind of one of the challenges that if you're think about it from their perspective, because there's no definitive lap as to when the race is over and too late or there is a definite red flag coming. Now, that's understandable why that is, because there are a variety of circumstances involved, like how long is the cleanup going to be? Uh, what's our television window? Um, those are probably the main ones. But, you know, I think it's safe to say. So when it went when the crash happened, 194, I think, is that right? I think so. 
I thought they would go ahead and red flag it, but it was close. And I couldn't guarantee it, but I, I thought they would. We asked for a definitive lap as to when they would not red flag it, and we didn't get a, uh, didn't get a, a number. But I think in reality, it's probably 196. It's definitely 197. Anything that happens 197 or later, they cannot restart it because you need, you know, two laps. You're going to need a lap to slow them down, um, figure out the order at least, and then a couple of laps to get them going, and then you need one, at least one lap of green. I think it's probably 195 or 196 is kind of the last possible chance. So it was close. And that's why it was kind of on the, I'm not certain what they're going to do. And that's going to lead to, you know, if Marcus would have lost the race, uh, which by the way, I assumed he was, I didn't think there was any way with the way number two was always passing number one, he was going to have to hold someone off. I hadn't thought about the extreme measures of the dragon he would impose, but th there's going to be an argument if someone loses when it could have gone either way. So in this case, it worked out pretty well and it avoided some controversy. Um, and I don't think they can give. The only thing I think they could do is they could say, at this lap, we cannot go back to green. And whether that's 197 or 196, maybe it's even 195. Maybe that so, could be done. In this case, 195 was a caution lap. So I want to bring this up because in uh, 2017, no, no, excuse me, 2020, the other win that Sato had, that was 196, first mm -hmm. caution flag, one lap deeper. The difference in my mind, I mean, because I think you could have got a one lap shootout in 2020. The difference was... The crash that that brought out the caution flag, Spencer Piggott, he just destroyed the attenuator. That was going to be a a pretty lengthy cleanup, and you didn't really you didn't really know if he was injured. I mean, yep. that was a big hit, and mm -hmm. so I think that was the right call. And it probably was being one lap farther into the race was probably the the right one to let it just finish under caution. In this case, they were able to get two laps and it was because it was a very quick little cleanup. It wasn't a a major, you know, destroying of of part of the track uh support system. My recollection was it came down to laps more than the length of the cleanup. You know, that was all our assumption this was going to take yes. forever. And I think they eventually said, "No, we could have probably gotten that cleaned up in 20 minutes." or so, which is not ideal, but that's, you know, we, we have those kind of cleanups, but it's probably more than anything else. It's just the number of laps needed to go through the things that you need to go through to get them up again. But this was right on the brink. Um, ultimately, and, and did you notice the applause by the fans? You know, we, we like tradition uh, and, and I'm okay with, you know, we understand in the last 10 laps or so that you're always kind of racing for the win. But we also, I think have to remember this is entertainment and you're going to annoy more people, especially the newcomers who don't watch you every week and don't understand why they're not getting a chance to see the finish under green. So I think you do do what you have to do and they did it. And ultimately I think even if you lost that on that, you'd probably understand, but you're still going to be annoyed. You're going to be annoyed if you were in front by three seconds 
and a red flag when it's a little bit of a gray area in the timing would have been an annoyance. So it worked out well. It did work out well. And, and I think they were literally at the brink because I think if you go to 196, you start getting, uh, you, you just, it becomes very difficult. A one lap shootout, I'm not a big fan of. And remember when Ari Leindyke won his, his second Indianapolis 500, there was some question about are we restarting or are we not? And, yeah. you know, he gassed it and drove to victory. And, and, you know, there was some, it was a one lap final and uh that was confusing as well uh i know one of the questions that i wanted to bring up i think several have asked as well uh well here was one john day when a car has a problem starting at the beginning of the race once the car is running they're allowed to maintain their starting spot so why was ed carpenter penalized for the same issue after the red flag shouldn't the rule be the same as a restart it's obviously not no and, and keep in mind, too, if you wait for Ed, because they were, did they come out of the pits and go green next time by, or did they pass the Yard of Bricks one time? They passed the Yard of Bricks one time, I believe. Oh, yeah, I think they, they, you're right. But even then, depending on how long it takes him to catch up, you run the risk of something going wrong with a car speeding through as people are getting ready to go. And are they weaving their tires, trying to warm them up? Um, I think that's probably one of those that it's just unfortunate. And I don't think did anybody see, I don't think this was a case like will powers where the car wouldn't start because when we got the camera on them, they were running back over and bringing a starter. So if it wouldn't start, the starter would have still been there. They wouldn't have been running over from the pit wall. So my guess is they started him. The, the guy with the starter went back over towards the pit wall, and then maybe Ed stalled at leaving? I don't know. Help? No, I, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. It was, you know, I was so but focused But if the starter the wasn't there, the it obviously it wasn't because it didn't, didn't fire. It, it obviously Correct. had stalled or something. So it looked you, know, like you can look at that. And I think... I think he said that too. I think he said I stalled it. Yeah. So, and that's what happened with Joseph Newgarden as well. He stalled. He was in second gear rather than first when he went to leave. He didn't know if that was on him or if if that was a mechanical issue, but the but the transmission was in second gear rather than first. Well, here's a looking at some tweets. Paul Davis, PD Lounge, uh, draws kind of a line that. They could draw in the pit line further all the way from the wall to the lines that they have kind of at the exit of turn four. That may not be a bad idea moving forward. Uh, that one's apologies, Cody, but that one's too long to read. So we have to tighten them up if we want to get on there. Brandon asked the same thing. Why is it legal to weave down the uh, straights, but not legal to do the same on a road or street course? Why is it legal to weave down the straights of the 500, but not legal to do the same on a road or street course? Oh, I think I know what he's talking about. Well, no, as long as you're proactive, you can weave on a road or street course. You just cannot do it in reaction to someone else. So you could weave as much as you want on a road or street course. But if the guy behind you moves out first, then that's when you're going to be penalized 
for blocking. But if you decided you wanted to weave, one that would be slower and they would just pass you, but you can do it as long as you make the first move that you're not uh, impeding someone in that regard. Patrick Fagan asked, why didn't Mario drive the two-seater today? Was there a two-seater leading the race? I didn't see the two-seater. No, I didn't didn't see the two-seater. So that's probably a commercial thing. That's probably a, um, you got a lot of things going on. Basically the two seater may not have been sold as much as we love the two seater. It's leading these races because Honda or Ruoff mortgage or someone else has bought time with the speedway. And then they probably also have to buy time with the television network. They do if they want it to be shown that that's how those things work. Yeah, I I would suspect we're on to the accurate reason why that that wasn't in play. Um, I hadn't noticed, but I but now that you mentioned it, it was it it did not run that I saw. Okay, uh, next item of business we want to get into. Let's just kind of go in in order from up top, and let's talk about Tony Kanaan. And there was a lot of conversation about this might be his last. Indy 500 and that he was waving to the fans. So that's the right approach if you're Tony, because he knows there's nothing guaranteed, but he's not retiring. And I have to believe someone is going to give him a a decent ride next year. He did what he needed to do to show that he can still do this. He got a lot of attention for his partners. I I feel pretty confident that Tony is going to get a chance again next year. I know it's easy for me to say, because I'm not the one that is depending on that, but I know he wants to come back next year, and I think we'll see him. I think so, too. Uh, I think next year is 25 years, maybe. Is that right? I think 20, 25 in IndyCar is how he phrased it. Okay. And but, but then after he does that, he's going to want 25 in the Indy 500, and he's going to keep going, and he should. As long as he's competitive and has a good ride, if he wants to do it, he should keep doing it. Well, he should. You know, It's not really ever going to stop because – uh, he wanted to stop. It'll stop because he couldn't put a ride together and he couldn't put a ride together that, uh, that made sense for him. But, you know, as soon as he started that slow lap, uh, I started getting text and, you know, I couldn't see that because Peacock had moved on to other things and the broadcast, you know, essentially was closing out. But, um, you know, every one of these must feel like the end for him. You know, he had his. He wanted to. Go, he wanted to finish, or at least, you know, have another shot at racing before a full house. If that was the last one, it's been a pretty good, pretty good run. That, by the way, that's twenty start, twenty one starts in the Indy five hundred, and a pole and a race win, of course. But um, you know, he's had a great run and and has been a, you know, a real champion. And and what a great ride he had. And and as I mentioned in the first hour. You know, he and Erickson really saved their best for last and looked like they had another gear to go to. So they were look looked like they'd been shot out of the cannon. Sorry, I was picking another tweet. Oh, we we didn't mention this. Jimmy Gray pointed it out again. The streak is started again. The winner comes to the burger bash. Oh, that's that's true. And, you know, he was great. Marcus was great and uh, was really one of the, the top dogs uh, to show up. In fact, he might have been – was he the highest starter? No, Renus VK. No, Renus. Renus started third and, and came to the Burger Bash. So, yeah, I think – you know, I don't know how many that's been where the 
where the race winner has come to the Burger Bash, but it's at least three or four. So I'd have to go back. To, I'll get that get that stat maybe for uh, next week's stat of the week because uh, how many race winners have come to Burger Bash? We know at least two for sure. Scott Dixon, the first one, and Marcus Erickson, the most recent. And I suspect the number is probably at least at least four. Well, I think Dan was probably there in eleven because he, he was. came. Yeah, he, he came every year. I would think Kanan was there in thirteen. He came about every year. And by the way, the only reason he couldn't come last Monday night is because he had a pre-scheduled event at MS Communications with the radio station that I wasn't aware of. Uh, but he was already doing something there that night. Uh, and I didn't even really bug a lot of others. Uh, we pretty much, there was only one other driver that was trying to come after an appearance that didn't make it. And everyone else, and there was one other driver that I had talked to PR and I was supposed to text that driver and remind them. And I forgot. It was, it was Connor. I was supposed to remind Connor because I had never actually asked him, but so I think he would have come as well, but I was supposed to text him and I forgot to do that. But uh, happy to see that what now we know, we know who bamboozled his hot tub. So that, that was an yeah. admission of guilt by Alexander Rossi on Twitter because he, he showed us his Amazon Prime receipts of, of buying. How, he knew the exact number. How many was it? He did 1.75 million beads. That's amazing. He bought 10 packets each of 20,000. 75,000 and another bag of 75,000. I thought Charlie Kimball's response was classic. He said, no wonder kids toys are on back order when, when guys <laughs> like Rossi are, are buying beads by the, uh, by the millions, uh, you know, but Rossi, uh, Rossi was classic. And, uh, he said he ended it with you are welcome. And, uh, he also spent a hundred dollars for, uh, Taco Bell to be Ubered into the victory banquet, which was classic, classic Rossi as well. So I watched the uh, banquet today on Peacock. It's archived on Peacock. It was also locally on channel 13. I'd recommend it. It's, yeah, it was good. It really shows the personality of the drivers. And that th this is the type of format that we all need to figure out how to bring to the masses a little bit. The challenge is it's, you know, it's not going to get a huge audience. It's kind of serving the people that you've already got. I don't know. But it it's an example of why these drivers are interesting, why they're worth rooting for, uh, and just tells you a little bit more about them. I thought it was really well done and was a, a good watch. It was It was really entertaining. You know, people have asked me today, why didn't they – you know, read off the money figures for each driver like they have in the past. And I think that just eats up time. And what we got was a little more time, not a lot, but it, it you know, rather than you receive $530,000 for finishing 13th and the driver having to say, oh, thank you. I want to thank this sponsor and this sponsor. Yeah. I mean, it you that's just kind of a wasted 45 seconds there where you could show a little more personality. And I thought guys like Montoya were spectacular. Rossi, kind of go on down the list. Connor, as usual. I mean, there was some – and Marcus Erickson was terrific. And so, you know, I just think it, it just allowed – you add up all that time 
that was spent in past years on the money, which the earnings are listed in the box score. I mean, you know, well, and we here's don't the other really thing. need. It, it ended the charade of, yeah. you know, you want it. That's why it was a better TV show. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that definitely made it a better TV show because poor Dave has to ask everyone, oh, $162,000. That's, and yeah, 162000 is great if he actually got $162,000, but the guys at that end of the payout might be making 10 grand, which is, again, that's really nice, but it's not 162,000. Ultimately, we don't know what they're making. I know this, there have been drivers that receive zero, zero of that money. It's all depending on what the budget is and what the agreement was. And, you know, the team may have given uh, a driver a discount. And then the deal was, we get all the prize money unless you finish in the top five or something like that. Then you start to get a percentage. So that's why you always saw kind of often a smirk and you saw who was a good actor when somebody outside of the top 15 is talking about the check they received. And it's like, you guys don't understand. We ain't getting any of this. Now, when you're up front, they're getting a substantial portion of that. And beyond that, whether they get it or not, they know that they have – increase their chances of employment moving forward and, and so on and so forth. So that was probably good to just cut that out of the thing at this point. But uh, good on Penske Entertainment, upping it to $16 million higher than it's ever been before. And those are the kind of numbers that, that kind of splash a little bit and make some headlines, helps out the teams in their budgeting. It's still, for those wondering about the differences in the prizes and why Elio got less than Simon, you know, that's one I kind of understand because this is still somewhat based on the leader circle program. And I don't know how it exactly works, but Elio's entry was not full time last year. So they are not receiving leader circle money this year. There is still some prize money that is allocated for, I think, top five or something like that. Maybe it's top three. It's not really published of non-leader circle programs, but there's no guaranteed revenue sharing for that group. So those that are full-time receive more in the Indy 500 than those that were not full-time last year and are one-offs. In a perfect world, easy to say because it's not my money, in a perfect world, the minimum goes up a little bit to increase the opportunities business-wise for those fielding extra entries. So it's not that you have to come up with $900,000 to run a car and, and if you worst case happens and you crash at the beginning or you finish last, you're only making 102000 That gets to, to a million and that, you know, is still difficult to do. But uh, still, very nice. And keep in mind, too, yes, there were 325,000 people here, but they didn't collect money for 325,000 tickets this year, Kurt, right? That's there right. were still, still some... Yeah, still last of the uh, the COVID COVID year tickets were used. Uh, so next year, you know, everybody's accounted for in the in there the payout. Go. All right, Brad Goldberg's going to join us here coming up in just a moment, talking about the thrill of being the lead engineer on a car that's won the biggest race of the world. Stay with us. We have more time for your Twitter comments too at Kevin Lee twenty three at Kurt Cavan, and I'm sure we've missed a lot. We'll keep at it. It's Trackside ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. Marcus, you just won Indy five hundred. You take a second parade lap. Think about your family and everybody that got. 
got you to this point. You are an Indy 500 champion. Thanks for staying with us as we continue to recap the 106th Indianapolis 500 won by Chip Ganassi Racing. Marcus Erickson, the engineer on that car. Brad Goldberg joins us now. Uh, he is He's not a native of Indianapolis, but he went to the great Ben Davis High School, so you always get special attention on this program as an alma mater of Ben Davis. And Brad joins us right now. So before we get into all of this, and obviously big congratulations, I think a lot of people assume that was Mike O'Gara, the strategist, talking. And, and I said, I don't think that sounds like Mike. I think that might be Brad. Who was it talking to Marcus at the very end of the race there that we just heard? Uh, oh, that was, that was me. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I got one right. Congratulations. This is so cool. Um, you know, I know it's a team effort and everyone is in, involved in that, but there's still something special about being the guy assigned to a particular car. What are your emotions like even two days later of winning the biggest race in the world? Oh man, it was, uh, well, of course we have Detroit coming up this weekend. So <laughs> it's a hard to focus at work, but, uh, oh man, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's, you know, growing up on the West side of Indianapolis, uh, going to Ben Davis, like you said, I and mean, that, that, you know, the month of May was so special in Indianapolis and, and being so close, uh, you know, it, my father passed away when I was very young and, and uh, his best friend, who I, who I call Uncle Bob, would pick me up from school. And back then, you could drive into the speedway. You know, it's in the, the turn, you know, three and four bleachers. There was infield in grandstands. And we would go there. He'd pick me up from school. He would drive in on uh, practice day. You know, you had the, the pass or the, the, the bronze badge, effectively. And, and we would sit in the stands and, and uh, just you know, watch practice. Um, you know, pretty much every day. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess that, that started everything and been been trying effectively for 20-some uh, years. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. Like, it, I, I, words cannot describe it. it it's just a, an awesome feeling. And, and, you know, that's what I told Marcus on, on the radio. Just it, same boat for him, just, you know the the level of support, the the level of um, just so thankful for my family uh, and, and my wife and my kids. For it's not easy. I mean, we're gone so long and, and, and um, so much time away, and, and the holidays and the birthdays and celebrations that we've missed, uh, and family gatherings and stuff like that. And it's the same for Marcus. I mean, he, he's from Sweden. He spends you know, most of the year over here and is away from family and everything like that. And, and they just happened to be there. Uh, it was wonderful uh, that he got to experience that and, with his family here and, and all of his support network and just wanted him to relish in the moment and, and take it all in. Um, and it was truly a, a special day. And that was a special moment at the banquet too, when he thanks everyone as a group and thank you individually a successful and you can explain this better how much does there need to be a special relationship between a driver and his engineer to have success and you guys obviously have that absolutely there, there has to be a trust level like uh, it never ceases to amaze me 
the level of trust the driver puts in an engineer, uh, it's slightly terrifying. <laughs> <to some extent>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you drive at Indianapolis, the driver, I think Marcus unofficially set what the trap speed record in the turn one. Uh, and one of the qualifying practices was 243 seven miles an hour from, you know, from I, I think it was like 2008 or 2009 when they started actually recording it. I can't remember the exact year, but when they actually started recording the trap speeds, but that that's moving the mail. Like that's that's really fast, and he's trusting in you that when he turns into the corner, the car's going to stick um, and, and make it around. Uh, I've, I've told people it's. It, it's a marriage effectively um, that the engineer and the driver have to be uh, so in tune with each other and, and so trusting and, and um, you know, understanding terms like each driver's different, how they talk about the car, you know, whether it's like, okay, the consistency of the corner, what does that mean? Or the phases, entry, mid and exit, what does that mean? Or the car's doing this, and high speed corners, but doing this in low speed corners, what does that all mean? It's a, you know, it's, it's a game of telephone, if you want to say, um, and just having the knowledge of what he means, um, because he, he's turning a feeling into words, processing those words and trying to explain that to me, but then I'm trying to turn into words and understand exactly what he's saying. Um, so it's 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 very important. Uh, it's very critical to success. Uh, you have to have a very strong bond, if you want to say, um, between the two. And uh, you know, I love working with Marcus. I've I've loved working with him since day one. His his intensity, his work ethic, his passion uh, for IndyCar racing, his passion for racing in general, and and. You know, I, I I call him the sponge because everything he just absorbs so much information, uh, video, uh, onboard video, uh, watching replays of races, uh, going through the data, um, you know, understanding how to get better. Uh, how can I do this different? How can you know we we approach this corner? Will this work? Or just he's so intense and and. Um, always wanting to improve, uh, which is which is amazing, and and you know he's wonderful to work with. Brad Goldberg uh, joins us, the engineer on Marcus Erickson's car. You kind of touched on where I wanted you to take this, and that is to say that Marcus is almost consumed to a fault with with motorsports that's all he talks about i mean is i know you've worked with and and around some of the greats and you got them on this race team but is it possible that no one is is more of a junkie for motorsports than marcus erickson uh absolutely um you know i always say the you know the, the great drivers i work with are always the biggest students of the sport um and Absolutely. Uh, a funny story. Take, for example, um, you know, we have to be at the, the speedway at, at 4.30 or, you know, drive underneath the tunnel uh, race morning at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, we have to beat the crowd, beat the traffic, you know, beat the opening gate, garage is open at 5. Uh, you know, that's, that's when I go underneath 
you know, gate two under the main entrance. And it was, ten, I think it was 1030 at night. <laughs> My phone rings and it's him. <laughs> he called me and he was like, Hey, what's going on? I was like, you know, I'm like, Hey, uh, he's like, are you sleeping? I was like, no, it's the night before the race, <laughs> the biggest race in the world. I'm not sleeping anytime soon. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm actually, you know, working on the, the setup for the car uh, for tomorrow, looking at the weather, the conditions and all that other stuff and trying to figure out what's the best path forward. He's like, Oh good. That's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> and you know, we probably had a 15, 20 minute chat of how we were going to set the car up for the race based on, you know, the weather conditions and what we learned on carb day. And, and quite honestly, we hadn't run sort of in the predicted weather, except for, I think it was Thursday for the practice. day was that hot uh, in the afternoon. And then, you know, the track temp being where it was going. And, but it, that's a good example. Like it's 1030 at night before the biggest race in the world. And he sits down and rather than, you know, hanging out or watching TV, he calls me and says, how are we going to win this race tomorrow? I remember when he had his first really good result at uh, Detroit. He had that, I guess, with the, the, the Schmidt team. And then, then when he got the win last year, we talked about confidence and how important that is. And this is a guy that's won a lot of races before and reached what is considered the pinnacle of motorsports in Formula One and had done well over here, but said, I really needed to get that win to kind of remind myself this is what's possible now with two wins last year the indy 500 this year along with other strong results what's possible for marcus erickson moving forward uh I, anything's possible the sky's the limit uh is like, like you said his level of confidence uh from when he's walked in the door and we he's just building and building and building and, and you see that now um you know you, you hope you can, you know, I'm a big fan of saying you don't count your chickens before they hatch, but you hope to have success, and, and we have everything we need, and he's driving at a level that is incredibly high and incredibly strong, um, by far the best I've ever seen him drive uh, in his entire career. And, um, man, I... I I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really good. Um, of course, you have to take it race by race and day by day and practice by practice. But I think that's what uh, we thrive upon, and that's how we work. We don't we don't give forward. We look at what's happening and and how to approach each moment at its time, each practice, each day, uh, each race. Um, and, and then we, you know, go to the next one and do it all over again. But I think the sky's the limit. And um, I'm really excited about the rest of the year. When the red flag came out, it wouldn't have mattered in my mind who was leading. I, my thought was that whoever is in front was not going to be able to stay in front. Maybe he gets it back, but he's going to lose the lead at some point. What was your level of concern at that point well that's what we were going over with him is is exactly that exactly 
to the T what you just mentioned and telling them on the radio, look, you are the fastest car on the track. This is your day. Nobody's going to beat you. It does not matter if he passes you into turn one or turn three. You will get him back. And focus forward because nobody's going to beat you. Um, and just going, you know, just reassuring him and, and refocusing him. Because, yes, I mean, you can imagine <laughs> the level or the range of, of uh, thoughts, right? Like you're leading the Indianapolis 500 with four or five laps to go. You have a three-second lead. Everything's going great. And then the yellow comes out. And then as soon as the yellow come out, you know, they, they were going to go red flag. And uh, and it's like, okay, you know, this is what has been laid out in front of us. This is what we're going to do to win that race. And it does not matter that we all, we've all seen, you know, the guys can swap the lead, uh, draft past each other. It's like, okay, it's not a big deal. Like, don't, don't lose sight of what we're here to accomplish and what we can accomplish. Uh, and if that happens, so be it. We'll get him back on the next straight. It's going to be okay. Big something great. to keep, yeah, yeah keep in mind stuff. too about great this stuff. team is that this was a brand new team in 2020. You were, and, and a lot of the, the guys on the team and the women on the team came over from the Ganassi Ford sports car program. You were an Indy car, you went over to sports cars and you came back and this has been a, a process is it mostly a lot of the same group that started again in 20? Uh, yeah. Uh, the crew chief on the car, Dave Pena, he was with us in 20. Um, Mitch is a, is a mechanic. He was with us in 20. Uh, Evan, um, our tire guy and truck driver, he was with us. Uh, of course, the, the timing stand, O'Gara, uh, Angela, and myself, um, we've been there since the inception. Uh, our Honda uh, engine technician, Nicole, has been there. Uh, Seth Fleming, our um, simulation engineer, performance engineer, he's been there since the the um, beginning. So, yeah, uh, that was, um, you know, really, it's really cool to see, that, you know, how this group has, has grown uh, together. And it's, it's a big family. Um, and, you know, it was really cool to see, I think, Chip last night, uh, at the banquet, uh, Chipper Mike, um, at the banquet last night said, okay, who's, who's the first time any 500 winner? And I think, uh, Dave has won it with, with Dario, but I think besides that, it was everybody's first. And that was really cool to be a part of, um, and, and an awesome to be associated with that group. And, um, you, you see like, you're talking about the, the engineer-driver relationship, but it goes beyond that because everybody has to be in sync. Everybody has to be working together, and, and everybody you know, has, obviously, since the program started, uh, has worked together. So it's, it's awesome to be a part of um, and, and really proud to, to be there. Brad, fantastic stuff, great stories, really, really happy for you and everyone else on that program. Thank you so much. And we'll, we'll let you get back to work. Cause I know you're working on a, a plan for Detroit this weekend. We'll see you up there. Yes, sir. Thank you very much.
Brad Goldberg engineered the winning car in the Indianapolis 500 for Marcus Erickson. We'll tell you about what's coming up this weekend in Detroit and more next on Trackside. All right, Detroit is coming up this weekend. Only one race. It's coming up Sunday afternoon. 345 is the green flag. 3 o'clock airtime. Make notes. This is on USA, USA Network. So find it on your cable guide uh, in the first practice Friday afternoon at 3.30. That's on Peacock. And, Kurt, you're telling me that the race is not on Peacock. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. I think you might be right. I I think that's, that's kind of the way it's been operating, that anything on network is simulcast on Peacock. But the the cable races are different, and this is one of only two this year. I think uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway is the other one. Toronto is Peacock exclusively, so check it and see. You never know. It might be on there, but be aware it might only be on USA, so we'll find that all out together coming up this weekend. I know one thing we've missed. Oh, by the way, there's an IMSA race there on Saturday that will be on USA as well. We haven't been been able to talk about the rookie of the year yet. That's gathered a lot of conversation. Well, I've been a voter 30, probably of the 36 years that I've covered the sport. And I would define the criteria of rookie of the year as being, I'll know it when I see it. I think that, and by the way, I, I said that about rookie of the year voting. This year, I was not a voter. But I would tell you that I usually know it when I see it. And I think this year was interesting because I'm not sure anybody stepped up and grabbed it by the throat, so to speak. Yeah. I thought some people could make an argument for it, but there wasn't a clear-cut uh, driver in that position. I feel bad for, for Malukas. He was ahead of, according to uh, For the Love of Indy, was ahead of Johnson in 177 of the 193 laps that they shared. And his average running or running position was in the 14s where Jimmy's was in the 21s. So Mark uh, Malukas had a better race day and didn't crash like Jimmy did, but it's a kind of a month long thing. And again, I think people voted based on, on what they saw for the month. And it's unfortunate. I thought this could have been a year for a co, but apparently the votes didn't come in that way. I have not had a vote for a while, and I don't know the procedure, but I think it's basically you need to be in the media center after the race. And my recollection is, as I was sitting there doing the radio show in the past, someone would hand me a ballot and say, you need to turn this in right now. And I would often scribble a name down while I was talking on the air. It was, you know, it, no, it's due real soon after the race. So sometimes not a lot of thought is put into it if you're busy writing your story or on the air. Uh, So in this case, I would have, I think I would have voted for Malukas, but I thought the same thing that it's not clear cut. I don't know. And it is more than just the race, but I don't feel that it's egregious that Jimmy won the award. Jake Query this morning was mentioning, you know, you can make the same argument for Grosjean bringing attention to the event and doing some of the extra things that are asked as well. So I would have said Malukas based on finishing the race, not crashing on his own, but I don't think it's horrible. I don't think it's horrible and I can understand the argument, but it is what it is. And he had the relative 
the the least amount of oval track experience among the guys you're talking about uh you know and the other thing is that kirkwood said hey you know i tried to i risked my life trying to pass you on that last lap because i thought it was based on finishing position so there you go All right, back again for two hours next week. We may talk more about the Indy 500, and we'll recap Detroit as well. Thanks for joining us.